Hello, welcome once again to Neurodiversity Tea Time on Friday at 10 o'clock UK time. Um, but we're going out across all the platforms, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, um, any podcasting host of choice, you'll probably find it um, because we're recording it and then it goes out afterwards across all those platforms. So you can watch it on catch up if that's your preference. However, we do like people to engage in the conversation. So those who are watching live, please let us know you're out there, but also do ask us uh, any questions that you may have. Um, today, we have an incredible guest with us, um, Catherine. Um, and I was, I was lucky enough to bump into Catherine the other day at a dyslexia show, which was lovely. And that shows the, uh, the wonder of the neurodiversity community at the moment, um, that you can just bump into people in this small world that we live in. Um, and it's like you've known them in person for a much longer time than you actually have. Um, so, Catherine, would you like to give our audience an introduction to yourself and, and who you are, what you do? Yes, yes. Well, I so say I'm Catherine Rayner. Um, I've had previous names, but I'm on my second marriage. I will gabble because I'm nervous. Um, yeah, I'm, I am an interior designer. Um, I'm, I was late to the field. Uh, previously before that, I was a police officer. Well, I was, I was a secretary because I had a fascination with buttons and typing. And then I was a, a police officer for 18 years. Um, that sadly ended when my mental health went down the pan. Um, I lost my identity and everything. And then I had to... I had to well, I, I sort of went to where I naturally sort of from when I was young age with um, sort of spaces and stuff. So I, I started studying interior design and I've been studying it for four years and I've got a first class BA honours. Um, but through that design, I looked at neurodiversity and design and how our environments aren't matching up to to our senses and to people who are neurodivergent and that how actually our spaces that we work in, primarily our secondary spaces where we spend a lot, of, spend a lot of time, are actually not working for people and are disadvantaging people, and that really concerned me. Um, so I studied it, and I studied why, and I studied, you know, the, the different things of what, you know, autism, ADHD, and all the variant things, PTSD, and sort of looked at it in design because design is all around us. Design is integral to us. We are our senses and. Everything that we see, hear, touch, feel, it's all in design. I love that. Design. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, just, sorry, just the, the, the career, the 18 years as a police officer uh, in the police force. Yeah. I, I just love uh, that, Catherine, because I guess so many of us can resonate with the spending so long doing one thing only to go back to maybe those early passions where the energy goes when we think of neurodiversity and mm. the, the hyper-focus, you know, yeah. being able to go back to that thing. I think as well is that what I think is important is that we can have several careers, you know. I think that's the bit which is all of us are living for longer and sometimes we have to go down one channel because that's where society has driven us into one direction where there's an expectation but how wonderful then to be able to have choices to try and get your fitting with what you're saying. The environment you're in allows you to thrive or not, you know. So if you're in the right working environment, home environment, people environment, you can thrive when, and, and, you know, enhance your skills. So it's lovely to see you've gone that journey, really. You know, and, and you know, what I, what I have now is like I... 
because I've got such a visual sort of way of looking at things. Um, and, you know, I sort of realised what is my natural talent and my natural what was given to me, I, you know, to me, it's just all obvious. I mean, I can reflect back and I can see, you know, through the police, I, you know, I was in so many bad environments, um, where public, private, all sorts. And I can remember exactly the layout, what was where, what I felt and everything of what I felt when I walked into that room, how it made me feel. And and I didn't know I was neurodivergent then. And I, like having had the sort of complete meltdown, suicidal, everything, um, and then coming back and doing interior design and then looking at it and then looking at neurodiversity, which I sort of fell across because I never knew it was there. And then learning through my daughter as well, who, who is, who is also neurodivergent. I didn't recognize me and I recognized all these things. I thought, Oh my God, it's, it's me, you know, but it's taken time. It's taken time to accept because you are you, aren't you? And you're so used to being you that you wouldn't expect you know, it's just so. Yeah, I've fully taken it on board, and and now I use it to my advantage. I look back, I looked at all the things that didn't work, listen mm -hmm. to people, observe, you know, and I chuck it all back in, and I just want to help people. Mm. That's brilliant. Well, that's brilliant. The good news is, is that you've got enthusiastic people um, who who are interested in. In hearing as well, um, Chris, I'm interested in today as we're about to bid for a tender to support underestimated founders and really keen to make sure what we're building is sympathetic to those with neurodiversity. Mm. Yes. Right. Well, interesting because I think, you know, it depends who, who you know, um is chris a stakeholder cryptic uh, isn't it actually there's a bit of chris you might want to elaborate on, on some of that some of the key points and yeah. um, because but, i was only because he talks about founders i was in an event uh, a couple of days ago for vc uh, venture capitalists and private equity firms and i think there's a wonderful opportunity in terms of neurodiversity design these organizations that have possibly not even gone into their first environment, built environment, you know, their first offices, if they're going to have one. Mm -hmm. So these organisations possibly are run by uh, somebody who may be ADHD or autistic because of the high proportion. Um, I have lots of hands go up in these rooms when, when I yeah. say it. Yeah. So it's a great opportunity for Chris, perhaps, if, it depends on where they are at this stage, to really influence um, uh, based on that experience I had from the other day. Martin, yeah. Martin just was up, which I was going to bring up, which is last year, October, we launched Design for the Mind, Neurodiversity in the Built Environment Guide. It's the first BSI PAS guidelines that came yeah. up. Really, you know, and that was co-created with architects and designers and engineers and individuals who are neurodivergent and organizations as well to start to provide those guidelines of how to think, how to build your spaces and places. So yeah. I think there's time has come because we are really thinking about this much more how important it is to have the right way markers the right environment to allow people to thrive so it's a great yeah. time I think, you know we weren't talking about it even a year ago really yeah I mean I did say that the uh, past document came out after I did my studies and it was funny because I, I read it and I thought well I've, I've come up with all this stuff myself and so I've kind of okay but I think you know primarily and that's all well and good but as I say it's like um to, to add things on 
I mean, I have a mind which I can walk into a room. If, if you want to say, if you want to have, if you like coming back to theatre, if you've got your first office, that actual space in the first place has got to be in the right space. People, t- co-working spaces, I hate them. And they don't, oh God, they're just not set up for neurodivergent people. But anyway, you go and get a space and it's all in the subconscious. You're not thinking, you're not thinking. All you're seeing is, oh, I could work here. I see it through different eyes and I see it through, well, actually I will look at it through obviously my design training and all the elements. And then you add on top of that, your senses and all the different senses that we have of what I know, you know, what our needs are and everything else. It is complex, but I can just instinctively put it together and say, well, no, that space is going to be no good for you because A, B, C, D and E. And, you know, when you're putting all these things together, I mean, it's like building a house. You don't just build a room on top of a room. It'd look rubbish, wouldn't it? So and design is the same. The inside is as important as the outside, if not more important, because that's where you're spending your time. And that's where your senses are activating. That's where you walk into when the first part of your day has been absolute hell because you've had to deal with kids or the traffic. or You get to work and if you walk into the crap environment because you don't want to sit next to chubby boy across there because he makes feel a bit funny or, you know, that wall there is, oh, it's upsetting me. Anything, there's all these things. They all need to be thought through. And, you know, so I just throw out the design sort of manual and start again. Let's start again and let's listen to people and let's see what's important. Let's do it properly, not what's trendy. I think it's a, it's a challenge. Sorry, it is a, sorry, Sarah. It's a challenge because um, I was reading this week, one of the news items this week is everybody going back to work again. There's a big push even again for some of the big banks and corporate organisations to have everybody back in work. And if that's the case, one of the things that happened over COVID is we lost buildings and there was more hot desking. So yeah. your point, which is, you know, it, it, I, I would hate hot desking. I like to know my environment, but I don't mind a cafe. Sometimes with headphones on, having a cup of coffee. I don't mind other people if I can create my own environment. But if you don't know where you're going to sit and who you're going to be every day, and you're literally yeah. running to your desk, yeah. I think that that be really stressful. Really and, I, and I've experienced that myself. And you know, it's the pressure of getting from home to be at that desk because you know you can only function at that that one desk in that space and be the first one there is immense so the, you know you've got that stress and before you even get there and if you don't then what do you do you spend half an hour because you can't settle what a waste of time to you your employer everybody i absolutely hate hot desking it might be all right for something it might be all right in like you say in a cafe amanda because you have choice and you're only there for a short amount of time and it's not your everyday working environment three, four, five days a week. That's the difference. You're so, choosing it, aren't you? You're, yeah, actually, you're creating absolutely. your own space. Yes, and you Choose know you can walk away from it. <laughs> Let me challenge that. Let me challenge that then, because if you're an organisation and you've got your workforce saying they want to work from home more often, and you go, well, okay, you can work from home more often, but we've got a 1,000 employees, we no longer need a 1,000 seats. So we're now going to have to have 300 seats and you're going to have to come in and you're going to have to hot desk and you'll never get the seat you want, but you're going to get to work from home for two or three days a week. Mm. Like where where is the balance when we think about design in that context? Mm. Well, it's not a perfect plan and it's, you know, it, it's, you know, 
you know, it's like neurodiversity. Everything's a work in progress, isn't it? We learn, we change, we, you know, you adapt. And I have thought that one through. And, you know, it's not going to be perfect for all. And so I suppose you have to look at it down to, well, okay, then let's break it down and say, well, you two come in on what's it and you work your days out where people have that choice. And so 300 desks will still be divided by a thousand people, say, if you change the days and stuff. I'm just trying to, I'm not a mathematician. Yeah. But, you, know. you, can have, you can have fixed areas where you come to. Even if you don't have your same desk, if you're organised, yes. you, can, you can always desk share, couldn't you? Yeah, that, that would be something. Because you could do a desk. Yeah, because you could. You know what you're going to. You're not going to be surprised. You know that desk can be plain. You can sort of on the days bring in your photo, put your photo out. Where you know organise it. You know, so yeah. Well, I wonder Kit if this is the group. Group. very important. Sorry, Theo. <laughs> no, just saying, having a Kit Kat in the drawer for, for those bad days is very important. I used to be full of cheese crumbs. Oh, it was awful. But, but somebody else will eat it now because you're sharing the desk. That's the problem. Do you share the Kit Kat? <laughs> and, but, but maybe this is a great question for chat GPT, is to say we've got yes. a 1,000 people, we've got 300 desks, we've got... 20% of them will need the same desk each time. We've got a higher proportion of people working on a Wednesday than any other day. Chat GPT, can you solve that conundrum for us? I'm fascinated because I think these are the types of questions that the three of us can go, we know the environment needs to be better. We know people need choice about working from home. We know all of these things, but what we may not be able to do, like Catherine, you will know the, the right sensory spaces and places and the right flexibility and all of that but then the, the bit that we may struggle with is um some of not just the maths but um uh, uh, martin's saying uh uh easy maths <laughs> like listen <laughs> yeah martin we'll pass it to you martin to do the easy maths okay yeah, yeah. we don't need chat gpt we'll go to martin all right we'll go to martin but i guess these are the interesting points around how we can utilize technology to maybe solve some of these problems where we know we were now starting to see the wonderful opportunities around how we can improve environments. We may just struggle with the should people be in work, shouldn't they be in work, and how we can continue leadership that they need to make the right decision and not based on in inaccurate or uninformed data um, or, or the confusion around data. Therefore, they don't make those decisions. So it's just because I've been I've been challenging Chat GPT. I've seen that. I've seen Chat GPT. Yeah, well, I think it's it's amazingly interesting if you can utilise it in the right way. Bill Gates today has just brought out an article. I've just retweeted it, relinked it on LinkedIn about the future of AI and where he thinks it's going and, and what are the challenges. It's worth a read. It really is. So just come out this morning. So have a read because I agree with you, Theo. It's got it's got bumps, but it's really interesting though as well what it could potentially do and could change inequity. You know, a lot of the absolutely, so. and, and 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 multiply ideas. You know, um, so very quickly if you're getting stuck. Now, the best thing is to be in a room with other people, right? Well, or not if you don't want to be in a room with other people, um, a digital room, whatever, right? Or, or a chat room, um, it, because you get that level of creativity. But I find sometimes I'm sat on my own in a room, mm -hmm. I've got no one else, and I and I and I'm and I've hit a brick wall. And I need to come mm. up with an idea, a concept. I need to check it. 
and nobody's responding to me because everybody else is busy, right? That ability to have some kind of interaction with something, it, I find it's helpful. Even if I just laugh at the response because I think it's so ridiculous, it, it just helps. <laughs> like when we wrote the book, Amanda, it just helps you get, sometimes you just get stuck, so stuck. You just need to get out of that mud um, to, to be able to clear. Let me come back to a point, actually, because I know, Amanda, you've written extensively about this. Um, and Catherine, I appreciate your thoughts as well. Come back to the point around um, running events, because this is quite specific, and we see a lot of events now. And often, I'd say, I, I go to a lot of events, I see them, often they, they struggle to be neuro-inclusive. They, they absolutely do. Yeah, and, and, and Chris making a good point, how is he going to encourage um, startups, so founders from startups, I, I guess, to come along, and so to come along because the event is inclusive, but also then to broadly educate everyone that it's inclusive, right? And, the, and the, how you do it. Um, just some thoughts or, or maybe that. Amanda, maybe you want to start because I know you've written like lists. Yeah. Of this. yeah, I do. I do. And I've got a handout if anybody wants it on, uh, you mm. know, if you contact me, DM me or whatever, and I'll send it. How to set up new inclusive events. Not easy always, but actually thinking about it proactively from imagine you are coming somewhere you've never been before and then just breaking it down to all the component parts of how to get there, when you arrive, what's going to happen, what's going to happen in the informal points. So the coffee times, the lunch times, mm. and what happens if there is overwhelm and too many people there, where can somebody go? And if you do that, sort of take, take that journey of imagining all those touch points Actually, you can do quite a lot very easily, you know, and also yeah. allowing people to have the information as much as possible beforehand, knowing what's going to happen, when it's going to happen and what the options are often reduces our anxiety level. So mm -hmm. anybody wants, um, I've done a, I've done a, a, a free booklet, um, just DM me and um, I'll send it to you. I'm happy to share it. Yeah, and just on the back of that, I mean, I'm just advertising my own services here, but, um, you know, it, it's also about, you know, the space itself. Is it the right space? Is it laid out properly? And that's the sort of stuff that I can advise on um, because they are difficult events. Um, I generally try not to go to them because if I go to one, like networking events, say, I'll go to one and won't go again because the setup's not right. And I can see very clearly why it is, but it's, it's very difficult to say to somebody, actually, that's not right. And if you get it right for yourself and for a neurodivergent person, you're getting it right for everybody. So, you know, it, um, but, you know, so happy to advise on all of these things because, I mean, it isn't just, you know, how the place looks. It's how you interact with people. Where are your spaces? Do you want spaces? Because not everybody likes to talk in a group they want to do one-to-one -one or just be on their own or probably not even be in the room or you know you know there are certain and I come back to primal stuff you know we built we were built um when we you know we have a survival in us we have our fight and flight and we have there's very much safety things which keep us safe and everything I go back to those and I think they are integral to to design and they should never be lost. So I always use those as my start point for anything. Um, and then you put your senses on, you know, and I build it. So I look at it in, you know, bring bring us back. <clears throat> I, I actually, it's sort of biophilic, primal, and then some other stuff. But that's sort of what I do. But what's the practically would you what some uh, Emily's just asking some examples 
of if you were doing an event, what sort of guidance could you give people? That might be helpful. Just some examples of that. Um, well, I think you're right, Amanda. So you, you go through the journey in your head and for every step you take, you look at, you look at okay, what, what's, the, what's the sensory information I'm getting here? When I get there, is it very clear? Are you in a group? Are you going to get, you know, is it sort of muddled to start with or is it very clear what you do, you know, and just take you through that journey. You know, that space is really important. I mean, whether I should say this, I went to the Neurodiversity and Business Conference, right, at Excel, um, and the whole location was wrong because for a neurodivergent person, everything was down a long corridor and off, and it and it was just all not good. So I can't really explain it. No, can I just jump in there? Not yeah. specifically that event, but I was literally just going to say, and this happens within organisations as well, right? There's almost like the policy, the legal requirement, right? So you go to a big event space, not calling any of them, but kind of calling some of them. <laughs> they they will tick the box for accessibility. I you can get a wheelchair in. Yes. You can, it's got toilets that are accessible. It's got, so it ticks so many boxes mm. that it can profess to be really accessible. I'm glad um, you mentioned it. From a disability yeah. perspective, and that may be accurate, and organisations do this all the time with the level of um, confidence around being accessible from a disability perspective. But in reality, there is still, there's still huge uh, exclusion from a neurological diversity perspective. And that's exactly, you know, when I would research this, the DDA for accessibility for disability, it's there, it's written, we all comply with it, you have to by law. But neurodiversity, and I think this is where neurodiversity and design, there's a complete lack of knowledge. And as a designer, it, it's, it is a specialist thing because you have to, it, it's going through a very small lens of, well, I can see this. It's not, everybody doesn't have the ability to do that. And as I say, you can't just go chucking things at it. And what, it, it, it's all subjective to people, isn't it? And like, you know, so I think because of, sorry, little information about there about designing for neurodiversity, well, there isn't really much out there. So I sort of, I do sit sort of on my own, and amongst a few others, perhaps. And, I think and Praveen, Praveen and Willow, and sorry, and Emily's points, sorry, there, um, I think are pertinent, which is you need to have people who have a lived experience of to know what it feels like going into mm. those different settings. Because, you know, going in, I, I mean, I, I remember going and standing, waiting for coffee at a table and thinking, oh God, what do I say? Do I have a conversation? Don't I have a conversation? I've talked about the weather, what next? And actually it's having people with insight and experiences, personal experiences, modeling some of that and thinking about those touch points, you know, saying what's happening at lunchtime, what are the foods, what, it's going through each of those small things because they seem small, but for somebody who's neurodivergent, they're massive. They're the bit yeah. that make you feel terribly uncomfortable. They really do. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it, it's complicated because, as I say, it's social, it's physical, it's everything. And you have to go through those things. So it isn't making something look pretty nice and everything. It's making it, it it's looking at it in a completely different light, de, uh, design. So you're designing for senses you're not de and you're not designing to make it look lovely and just functional. 
it, it is more to it and i enjoy the challenge of it i mean that's that's you know because i'm satisfying my needs myself my brain you know um i'm in a happy place so <laughs> but yeah no so if anybody wants advice i'm there you know i can do it i mean you don't have to do a full refurbishment you can just go and change the layout you talk to people you you know and some of it's also culture because the culture of that office you know has to change doesn't it because you can't just implement well you're going to have say go come back to the desk thing it can create sort of people get upset or they start bickering or whatever you know you've got to address other things so it's just a part of the bigger picture and and can i just say that it's also about people being mindful um, so when uh, I mentioned, I can't remember when it was, but I was typing away with my eyes straining with my keyboard and my friend and business partner came over and he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm, I'm typing. He said, why, why are you like, why, why are you, why do you look in pain basically? And I went, well, I can't properly see the keys. It's getting a bit dark. We never, me and you can't be bothered to turn the lights on. So, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. And he just went. And he went and got me another keyboard that he happened to have um, and he uh, swapped it and he went and he plugged it in and it was all the keys lit up and they had different colors and stuff. Oh, wow. wow. I'm telling you, yeah. I was like, what is this wonderful yeah. thing? Oh, <laughs> but that, that it's isn't it? It's empathizing, yeah. putting yourself in the place of somebody. Mm. But it shows the design it's not, it's not just the, the design's important, but then it's other people maybe recognizing what's going on for, you know, just looking at something and going, there's something not quite right about how they're sat, how they're, why don't I just go and go, like, is there something I can do? Because when I had that problem, I did this, or do you, have you, do you want me to go and ask the person in mm. facilities estate? Because I don't mind, I've gone there a few times and, and generally they're all right, you know, like, because sometimes people just don't know the opportunities that they have with that environment. So mm. the, the balance between you going in, Catherine, giving them some fantastic advice, but the whole community embracing that to then continually like challenge it and, and mm. question it and, mm. and, and, and learn from the environment and the way that it moves, like a living organism, right? Oh, it is, yeah. It, I mean, you've only, you've only got to start the conversation. People are just going, you, know, you go sit there, you go sit there. And it's all very sort of, factory like isn't it sort of um well whatever it is um can't remember the word anyway um and, and we just go in we churn in we churn back out we go in we go back out nobody ever questions it but you're like mm. and you know I, I did some research when i was doing my dissertation i did some research and i actually found 10 percent of people left their environment because of sensory overload so they left sorry they left the workplace they left the job 10 percent of people because the environment wasn't right so you know that could be your talent that could be you know how much is that costing you you know if you want to look at it in monetary terms and you know we have a retention and we have you know recruitment thing you know your environment is absolutely key in all of the neuro inclusion sort of paradigm that that we that we're in so about well-being it's about you know feeling a comfort but also you've got to feel like you You've got to be bold, and that's quite hard sometimes to stand up and ask for what you what you want and what you need. And that 
I think, you know, Thea's point about sharing advice and guidance, what we can learn as a community is massively hard. Somebody put about diversity and ability with their lighting and, you know, jazz hands rather than clapping. We can learn from each other about what people yeah, like, what they don't like and share that. That's yeah. really important. But also our, what we like on one day may vary from another day. That's the other bit is that, yeah. you know, yeah. our sensory environment may be able to cope on one day because we're one to one, but in another, in a big large group, it might be harder. So, it's mm. a, it's about uh, being sensitive to each other, isn't it? Really, as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's say it, it's it's not it, it's not um, a definite practice, but it's something you know. If you can build an environment to the best that it can, you know, it can be. You're never going to get a hundred percent, but you can get. It can, it can improve and it can make it so much better for people. And, you know, it just shouldn't be overlooked because I just feel that, you know, having been around, you know, listening to people, going to places, nobody ever really, really talks about the actual environment that we're sitting in and the impact that that actually has on us. Um, because I think it's probably maybe little understood or not talked about. I'm not sure, but I certainly feel it and I can certainly see it you know um i mean where i'm sat now i've created for myself um you know and i'm happy but before i did this room up it was absolutely you know, it was an old shop and could i work in it no i could think you know the impact of your space has so much impacts on so much your ability of what you can produce every day and how you know your well-being so you know if you've got well-being policies in your workplace but your workplace is you know, not set up properly. What, what's, you know, so what's the point? Brilliant. Thank you. We're, we're just going to wrap up now. We're coming to an end. Um, I just, the 10% the point, I see the bigger factor for me is not just the 10%. They're the lucky people who get out of that environment and go and find another one, hopefully, mm. that's better for them. It's those people who may not realise their migraines are triggered by the lights. Absolutely. Those who don't have a choice to leave that environment because they mm. can't take the risk. It's yeah. all those people in the work environment whose mental health and wellbeing has been massively impacted by sensory overload and they are not in a position to be able to do anything about it for such a wide variety of number of reasons that's why organizations should have an accountability for it because it's not just losing people it's people having a horrible experience and not being able to do their work some exceptional people in your organization can't do their work because they're triggering migraines on a regular basis because you're asking them to go into meeting rooms they that are too packed oh, like horrendous ones out there <laughs> That's aware, and that's awareness, Theo, because it's about recognizing that doing what's good for 70% and that's okay isn't okay. So no, if 30% okay. of people are being challenged and they're not working optimally, and if that goes to Phil Turner's asking the challenges, can you give advice about what to do with some groups want something, some groups another? I think it's sharing the information to say what the impact is as a team. And if we are working as teams, how do we get the best out of everyone, not just certain groups? No, you know, you you have to start the conversation. We all have to start talking, you know, but it's, but anybody contact me if they want to. Brilliant. Well, <laughs> it's been a highly engaged conversation. Like the chat is yeah. lighting up, which is, is I can't see it. So I have no idea. The chat is lighting up. Well, it, 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 for another day, Catherine, I'll show you how you can uh, open up the chat. But it, it, I advise people not to generally anyway, because it can be distracting, whereas I need to, to be able to highlight them and share them on the screen. Um, but thank you, everybody, for joining us. 
Um, you can uh, share this because it's uh, on catch up, even though we were live, you can catch up again on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on YouTube, and on your podcasting host of choice. Come and join your Diversity Tea Time group on LinkedIn. And by all means, request what you would like to see in one of our upcoming episodes, who you would like to see in one of our upcoming episodes, or if you indeed have something, a burning topic of desire that you would like to share with our <laughs> Come wonderful and tell us. Have a fantastic weekend if you manage to get some time off. Um, thank you once again for joining us. Thank you, Catherine. We really thank appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good weekend, everybody. Hopefully. Bye.